And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, we welcome Peter Greer, President and CEO of Hope International. Are you fulfilling your mission, and are you fulfilling it with excellence? Because if you're not doing that, you are merely going to have a bigger problem to correct. One of the greatest times of challenge that we had as an organization, and I think it was because we were so focused on growth at the expense of our mission and at the expense of doing it well. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, and we would like to welcome you back to another episode of the program where we love to interview top Christian leaders across the country to learn how they think, how they plan, how they succeed, but most importantly, how they seek to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in their leadership. I am really excited because today's guest is Peter Greer. Peter is the president and CEO of Hope International. We're going to learn all about Hope International as we talk with Peter today, but it is a global Christ-centered micro-enterprise development organization serving clients and well-deserving people throughout Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Eastern Europe. And that's not all of Peter's background, and we're going to learn more about it, but that's what the Lord has him doing these days. Peter, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. It is great to be with you. Thanks so much. Well, Peter, we would be remiss at what I just shared was an, a, just a very intriguing introduction to uh, Hope International. Would you mind taking just a couple of moments here and walk us through, tell us more about Hope International. It's an exciting thing that the Lord is doing through this ministry. Well, I really appreciate that, and I do think it's exciting as well. And I've uh, been with the organization 14 years, and I am still energized when I get up every morning to continue pursuing this mission. And, um, you know, really, the organization founded out of a failed charity attempt, which is an interesting way to be founded. But after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was a group of individuals in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, that were sending food and supplies, going on trips and building buildings. And after doing this model of charity, after trying to do all of these short-term mission trips and trying to help They were approached by the pastor in one of the communities where they were working, and the pastor said, your help isn't helping us anymore. Hmm. And it was really interesting that he recognized that what was good and appropriate in the years immediately following the fall of the Soviet Union, at that time, uh, humanitarian assistance, immediate relief and aid, that was what was needed. But over time, they were still in a position of dependency on aid and charity. And that wasn't good for them. It wasn't good for the people going. And God had created all of us for so much more than just to be recipients of someone else's charity, as Hmm. good as that is in a crisis moment. And he recognized they were ready to stand on their own two feet and provide for their own communities and have the gift of generosity in their own communities as well. And so that conversation really shifted the approach from an aid approach to then going beyond that and figuring out what does it look like to help individuals. And and what they found in Ukraine is what we found in so many other parts of the world, that it is a powerful combination uh, to have the hope of Jesus um, and uh, to work in such a way that you can equip individuals to have a job. Um, And so that really became the focus of continuing to have that emphasis on discipleship and outreach and, and, and reaching individuals with the good news of Jesus and doing it in such a way that the, the primary uh, 
form of aid is is not one of handouts, uh, but really a hand up by providing training, savings, investment capital, so that individuals can start or expand uh, small businesses. Well, if you don't mind, Pierre, I'd like to park there just for a moment that this term uh, microenterprise, uh, I've heard it. Um, I've, I've heard a lot about it, but I, I suspect that there's some listeners to our program who are going, what's a micro-enterprise? Because so, I know this is central to the model at Hope International. Why don't you take a moment, walk us through exactly what that means. Yeah, sure. And it, it is it's interesting because there are a lot of people that have uh, gone and seen the mission of Hope, and it is not uncommon for them to return and say, I just didn't understand it until I actually saw it. So mm-hmm. they're probably in how we communicate and some areas for improvement. But, you know, at its core, micro meaning small and enterprise meaning enterprise. <laughs> um, and so it's really designed to help individuals uh, start a small business so that they can have a place of employment. And in many of the countries where we serve, there just are not formal jobs. Um, there are not uh, help wanted signs. Uh, there is not a lot of uh, activity in the formal sector. And so the result is a lot of people have to be entrepreneurial to survive. And so it's in those environments that a little bit of training um, and a little bit of access to capital, a safe place to save money, uh, oftentimes are necessary building blocks so that they can start or expand a small business. And so with Hope International, I don't know if this is going to uh, help or not, Ray, but you know, we, we offer uh, three different uh, primary approaches. Uh, one are church-based savings groups where individuals start saving together and then they take their capital and invest it in each other to have an investment fund, uh, as you, if you will, to, to start a small business. Then there's microfinance institutions uh, that are regulated institutions that make small loans to individuals that don't have the opportunity to go to a bank uh, to save money, uh, don't have the opportunity to get a small loan. And then we also have uh, small and medium enterprise support as well. So this is helping entrepreneurs really scale and grow their businesses so that they can become employers. But again, all of this boils down to trying to figure out as effectively as possible, how do we introduce the hope of Jesus and how do we help people uh, have a job so that they can provide for their families? Well, that is extraordinary. And if you didn't, if you wouldn't mind, could, could you just give us a specific example? Uh, don't necessarily need the country or need the name or anything, but kind of a beginning-to-end example of what this approach uh, did and how it made a difference in someone's life. Yeah, and you know, one of the great parts of my job is that I do get to travel around the world and spend time with some of these remarkable entrepreneurs. And so 20 years ago, uh, the organization was founded and designed to help in one community in Ukraine, and so made 12 initial small loans. And uh, today, there's over 800,000 entrepreneurs uh, that we're serving in 16 countries. So um, we, we don't, I don't know all of them, uh, <laughs> but I have know many of them, and they really are an inspiring group of people that teach me so much about what it looks like to love Jesus uh, and to love my neighbor. And so, you know, I think about last summer, um, I was in Rwanda and had the opportunity to be with Severa, and she is an individual that uh, went through something that is almost impossible to imagine, but living through the horrors of the Rwandan genocide and, and emerging from that, having to provide for a family 
And so she ended up getting access to a small loan. Uh, it was about $100, and she got into farming. Uh, she was able to cultivate and to sell peanuts. And as her business grew, as she was able to provide for her family, she ended up expanding and, and uh, got access to another loan to start a hardware business, got into rental properties in her community in Rwanda, got into more farming activities, got into a store that she created. And uh, today she employs over 50 individuals and doesn't just employ them, but provides health insurance for them. And not just that, she doesn't just take care of her children. She has adopted eight orphans into her family. She saw that her community didn't have clean water, and so she built a well. And, and so you think about all of those positive aspects that happened when she was able to grow these enterprises. She already had a heart that had been touched by God. And she said, you know, I know that I have been blessed uh, to be a blessing. I know that what I have is not just for me, but it's for others. And an incredible woman of generosity and courage and faith, and she is an entrepreneur on the move. And so not every story is that dramatic in terms of before and after, but really seeing the power of the gospel alongside the idea of having the ability to grow a small business and then to watch local generosity, watch local impact. And I have been in so many churches that have been built not by foreign organizations, but built by community members. And I've seen so many orphans that have been brought into homes. And it really is amazing what happens when there's a little bit more economic capacity so that uh, individuals can really, yeah, change their family and the and the lives of others around them. That is such a clear and powerful example, and, and I'm sure that you know many of our listeners, uh, Peter, are business owners and entrepreneurs, uh, individuals who have started uh, their own enterprises, or at least uh, in the past attempted to. And, and as I was listening to that story, I'm reminded that is the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, we find in Zechariah where it says, "Do not despise the day of humble beginnings." And that story that that came out of a did you say a one hundred dollar investment has turned into that enterprise? That's right. Yeah, and there have been subsequent investments after that, but that's right. Our our average initial loan size today is just over two hundred dollars. But she started several years ago, and uh, when when that initial loan size was even smaller, that is truly astounding. So what's in my head right now is uh, many of us, you know, we, we've got a two hundred dollar a month cable bill, and maybe just what we would spend in one month's cable. Hope International is able to take and literally bring hope and bring dream and bring economic opportunity and prosperity, but most importantly an influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and through soul transformation. That's that's what's really exciting, right? I couldn't agree more. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the interesting pieces, too, is that over time, these entrepreneurs that we work with, they don't just repay their loan. So we have over 98% of the loans that we've given have been repaid. So incredible kind of success rate of the money that we're loaning out, it comes back so that we can loan it to someone else or continue to walk with these entrepreneurs. But when they repay it, they also repay it with an interest, depending on the country and the context. And that allows us to create institutions that are self-sufficient. So it's not just that you're helping one individual. It's you're helping one individual, it's repaid, and it continues to, to operate on its own. And so that's one of the other exciting things is that it's almost like a self-supporting uh, missions approach um, uh, because it's really designed to help entrepreneurs and we try to be entrepreneurial in the way that we set ourselves up to exist uh, long term as well. So yeah, it really is not just about the first loan, but then that 
amount of capital being able to be lent again and help another individual and to watch the impact continue to grow over time. That's simply stunning to me. You said 98% repayment rate. Why is that? What's the secret to that? How, How does that happen? That's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think that I know that when I first started taking trips internationally, I had a bit of a, well, pejorative approach to individuals. Um, And when I first heard about this sort of an approach and individuals getting loans and repaying it, I, I, I almost thought, now, is that possible? Is it is it even possible? And behind that question was was a little bit of uh, disrespecting of the people that we serve and the way that they are created with incredible capacity. They're just born mm. in a different circumstance, and they've had to be entrepreneurial just to survive in these uh, uh, places uh, wow. without any safety. Yeah, net. yeah. And so there's already that that drive, that entrepreneurial uh, spirit that allows small amounts of capital to to really be invested wisely. Um, but the the second piece also is that we're able to make investments into individuals. And we don't require any sort of a physical uh, guarantee, but we're able to offer individuals the ability to come together and then they cross-guarantee each other's loans. So what that practically means is that there's a group of individuals and imagine, so our savings group model, we partner with local churches, they reach out to their communities and say, here's a new program that we're offering. If you'd like to have information come in and then groups of individuals form and then if if an individual that receives access to capital doesn't repay, it's that group that said, you know what, we will repay for that individual. And so it's a really strong incentive, not for us to figure out, is that goat business better than that tomato business in that one community in Burundi? Or is is a concrete business or is a greenhouse a better investment right now in Ukraine? We don't have the ability to, to really answer those questions, but you know who can answer those questions? the individuals in that community. And so we try to create a system that incentivizes the local community to come together and to make sure that the right individuals with the right drive, right spirit, right integrity, right idea, that those are the individuals that are accessing the capital. So it's a this is not something Hope International created. This is really modeling our approach on what Mohammed Yunus won the Nobel Peace Prize for, and uh, really just trying to make sure that we don't just use this model or mission, but intentionally partner with the church and make sure that the gospel is woven into everything that we do. It sounds extremely biblical, that sense of community and the ecclesia coming together. I love it. I love it. Well, Peter, I want to talk in just a moment about some aspects of leadership and, and kind of how your faith has continued to shape your leadership of this amazing organization. But our audience may or may not be aware, but you are a very accomplished and prolific author, written over 10 books, and one in particular was called Mission Drift. And why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about that, and then if you don't mind, uh, I'd love to be able to help you put a a great plug in for a new book just out. But tell us a little bit about Mission Drift and, and what that book was about, and then also, I'd love to talk about the new book that uh, has just come out as well. Yeah, well, I, and, and I will say, so I, I have not authored solo any books. Sure. Every book that I've written has been uh, with a colleague or friend 
or family member. And so Mission Drift had the incredible privilege of working with my colleague and friend, Chris Horst, uh, and Anna Haggard, also a colleague at Hope International. And it really was out of uh, a situation that I had several years ago where there was a foundation that was interested in supporting Hope and the microenterprise development work that we're doing. They loved the model. They loved the approach. They loved the geography and the places where we were serving. But as we were doing kind of our final presentation to their board of directors, they, they said very clearly, uh, they said, we like all of that, but you're so overt in how you talk about Jesus and in incorporating that into your model. They said, because we're a publicly traded company, we can't get behind you. And they said, tone down that, stop being so overt about that aspect, and then we can come alongside you. And it was a extremely large check that they were uh, considering writing. And so we went back as a board, we started to look at this, and and what they ended up giving us was not a check, but they gave us something far more valuable because as we started to look at this, we started to say, is it possible to separate our faith from the work that we do? Um, and we also started having our eyes open to just how many other organizations were founded with a very clear and compelling mission uh, that went beyond just the project or service. And what we found is that there's in a very long list of organizations that over time walked away from their founding commitment to Jesus in pursuit of money or prestige or growth or a variety of other things. And we said, we don't want that to be our story. And so the book Mission Drift was really our research that came out of that to say, what is it that organizations that have scaled and have grown, have professionalized, what is it? that they did differently, and how can we pay attention to the small decisions that when compounded over time will lead us to a very different place. And so the result uh, is the book Mission Drift, but more than that, it was some very concrete, practical takeaways for how we lead differently at Hope International, and I just have been so grateful for the receptivity of the message by other leaders and other organizations who have uh, taken, again, not just the message, but taken action to make sure that they stay on mission for a long time to come. Wow. We could do an entire conversation just on the book, and I know you've done that on many occasions. But what I'd like to ask you just real quick before we move on to your new book, I'd like to ask you what advice would you have for someone who's listening to the program right now and they're wrestling through, they just feel like, man, we've just kind of, this is not what we set out to be, this isn't who we set out to, to serve, or it just feels like things are so different as to why we started as a company or as an organization. So what advice would you have for someone who's experiencing mission drift? You know, so much, and, and the reason that we like the word drift is because drift insinuates something that is unintentional. It, it insinuates something that you know, when you're on a boat, you don't you don't have to work to drift. Drift is what just happens when you stop doing the hard work of rowing. And so I guess the first piece is I would say fantastic that you recognize that drift is occurring. That is a critical first step. And then I would say the second piece is the longer that you wait to address this issue of drift, the more difficult it takes. And so you think of an institution like Harvard University. Uh, it is a great place to get, you know, world-class education. But what few people realize, one of the founding mission statements was this, to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That's a pretty clear mission statement that today 
it's dramatically different from that founding purpose. And so it's almost unimaginable that today that Harvard could go back to that founding mission. But the same is true for all of us. The Mm -hmm. more time that you wait to course correct, the longer the distance is that you're going to have to travel to get back to that core mission. So I would say if you're feeling that, the the best thing that you can do is recognize it right now. Don't, Don't wait to address it and figure out what are those small, concrete, practical steps that you can take Uh, to get back on mission. Incredible advice. And I just, you just shared that mission statement, original purpose from Harvard. It's like, who are you talking about? That sure doesn't sound like what we know them to be today, right? So that's incredible insight. So folks still can purchase the book, uh, Mission Drift, uh, I assume at Amazon and other retail outlets, it's still available. Is that correct? Yep, it should be available wherever books are sold. So, right. yep, absolutely. Well, good. So that's a great segue then. You've got a, a brand new book out called Rooting for Rivals. And what an interesting title, Rooting for Rivals. Tell us a little bit about that and where that idea came from and what you're communicating in that project. Yeah, so this actually it is related to Mission Drift, and it was uh, also working with Chris Horst um, and uh, also our colleague Jill Heisey. But uh, what we found as we thought back to the, to the story of Mission Drift, what we found is that as we started picking up the phone, as we started having conversations with leaders of other organizations that in many ways are in the same space of Christian relief and development, they went out of their way to help us. I think back to a conversation uh, with Wes Stafford. Uh, at the time, he was president of Compassion International saw him at the airport after a conference. I'm sure he was exhausted. This is when we were doing our research for Mission Drift, and I went up and you know, said, hi, I'm Peter, and uh, can I ask you a few questions? And he was so gracious, even though I'm sure he was exhausted, put away his book, had me sit down, and then followed up uh, on our conversation with some materials that were so helpful. And it occurred to me, why did he do that? Why was he so incredibly gracious in his invitation to help? And I think part of the reason is because the mission true leaders saw that they had a mission that extended beyond just their own organization. They saw that their ultimate mission was not to build an organization, but it was to build the kingdom of God. And they didn't look at the world through a lens of scarcity and saying, more for you means less for me. They looked in the world and said, more for you means more for the kingdom. And they rejected a worldview that is based in fear of not having enough. And they also, again, believed that their calling extended beyond building an organization and included building the kingdom of God. And so in a very practical way, when I think back to the conversation, not just with Wes, but so many of the other leaders that I've been privileged to get to know over the past several years, they were rooting for us. Even though we could be kind of in some ways considered a rival organization, they were so clearly cheering us on, helping us, being open-handed with all that they had. And so we wanted to discover what's behind that type of leadership and how can we, all of us as followers of Jesus, be more collaborative, be more open to partnership, be more generous with our time and resources, um, and not to identify other churches or other charities or other organizations as our competition but instead our friends. And so it's really a research project to say, how do we more actively root for our rivals 
and uh, figure out what gets us off track in that and how can we course correct there as well. That is so extremely powerful. And many of our listeners uh, to the Bottom Line Faith program, Peter, are involved in Truth at Work roundtable groups, which are these models across the country of business and organizational leaders who gather together and spur one another on and encourage one another as business leaders. We talk about that a lot in that Am I praying for my competitors <laughs> in the marketplace? Because if that person is also a brother or sister in Christ, they are my brother or sister in Christ, and God doesn't love them more than He loves me, and He doesn't love me more than He loves them. And so it really is a challenge to all of us, right, as followers of Christ, whether we're a leader in a nonprofit organization or a leader in a business, a for-profit entity— we should be praying and cheering and rooting for our brothers and sisters in Christ to win, because then the name of Jesus gets elevated. I think that's what you're trying to teach us here. Is that correct? You are exactly right, and thanks for the way that you are living it out. Absolutely. I can't wait. So the book is called Rooting for Rivals. I'm going to go get a copy of it. I know it just came out. Where's the best place for our listeners to pick up a copy? Yeah, again, uh, my hope is that it's available wherever books are sold. Uh, but I <laughs> right. know that it is available at my website, my blog, at peterkgreer.com. So peterkgreer.com, and that also is a, a place that I am certain that it's available. Oh, fantastic. Well, folks, please, please, please check it out. Every leader in the marketplace is going to learn from this project and this book called Rooting for Rivals. Well, Peter, let's transition then to a segment here just on advice and lessons learned. God has used you in amazing ways in leading this amazing organization, Hope International, on a global basis. He's allowed you and some of your associates to write books and and really be great communicator. But let's talk about some of the lessons you've learned as a Christ follower in business. As you look back over the course of your career, what would you say would be one mistake or one decision or one thing that if you had a chance to do it over again, you would do so? What would that be? Yeah, I think the challenge with this question is going to be limiting it to one. I, I actually believe that Failure is fertile ground for God not just to get our attention, but for us to remember our complete and utter reliance. And just the the practical truth that left on our own, uh, that's not a place that we want to be. So I guess one one of uh, many lessons is I think when I look back at at my time at Hope, early on there was uh, a pursuit for growth, and it was unchecked and unfettered growth. If what we were doing was good, then I wanted to do more. And I literally had uh, growth charts on my wall, not just of where I wanted Hope to be, but our relative growth compared to other organizations. And I was defining our success wrongly on two counts. One is one is by thinking that growth is what is most important, as opposed to what I now believe, which is, are you fulfilling your mission and are you fulfilling it with excellence? Because if you're not doing that, you are merely going to have a bigger problem to correct. And I think about uh, one of the greatest times of challenge that we had as an organization, and I think it was because we were so so focused on growth at the expense of our mission and at the expense of doing it well. We didn't have the people or the systems to implement well at that time. And I think the other thing, thinking back to that time, was that I was defining our success and how I felt about how we were doing on a relative definition of success. How are we doing 
compared to other organizations, which is a horrible way Mm. to think about success, as opposed to are we being faithful to what God has given us to do? So I think the pursuit of growth, it can sound good, it can sound noble, it can sound like you just want more for the kingdom, but uh, behind that there's a shadow side, maybe of not doing everything with excellence or defining uh, your success in relative terms as opposed to, am I being faithful with what God has entrusted to us at this moment? So powerful, and and that is a lesson I think every person in leadership should heed, and uh, before worrying about getting bigger, we need to be better. And if we're better long enough, and growth inevitably is going to occur. That is powerful. Great lesson learned. And uh, as I was listening to you talk about that, I, <laughs> it, it must have led right into the whole mission drift, because you do fall away from mission when it becomes about growth, as opposed to staying focused on what you're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Yep. So true. Awesome. So as you look back then also over the course of your career, what do you wish someone would have told you in that first year of leadership that you had to learn the hard way? To be vigilant, look out to see if you are having a misordered love. So unpacking that a little bit, what I think is for many individuals that are whether it's leading organizations, founding organizations, or just in general are passionate about the work that you do, it's easy to be more passionate about the work that you do than about uh, the people that God has entrusted to you that are really close. And I think back to, again, a time when I was so excited about the mission that I forgot temporarily about the incredible joy and privilege of being a dad and husband. And even if you kind of look at the bio, the way that uh, I I try to put it now is I want to make sure dad and husband, uh, those titles are more important than president and CEO of, Mm. of or whatever the other titles are. And so I think kind of going back, I wish someone had say in your zeal, in your excitement for this great cause, this great organization, don't forget you have a higher calling. You have a higher love. And that's not just to God, uh, but then after that, it is also to the people that are closest to you. Oh, such great advice. And and thank you uh, for reminding me (laughs) as we've listened. You know, sometimes uh, I get to be the greatest recipient of lessons learned, and first, just thank you for your humility and and sharing in the way you are, but thank you for the substance of that message as well, because uh, so often we identify with our work instead of really who we are in Christ. Good stuff. Okay, so... I have one more big question that I'd love to ask, okay? And uh, our regular listeners, they know this is always the last question I ask, and Peter, frankly, it's the one question I always make sure to ask every guest on the program. I call it my 423 question, and it says this. This is from Solomon, of course, where he says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. So here's my question for you, Peter, as we wind down here today. If you have a chance to pass along one piece of advice above all else, your above all else advice to someone who's listening here today or to your kids or those who are most precious to you, would you mind just filling in the blank for us and answering above all else? Uh, How can you add anything to what uh, Solomon wrote? Guard your heart. I think that's that's it. And you know, it's really interesting too. I'm fascinated by Solomon 
because Solomon is this incredible leader, more success, more wealth, more fame than virtually any other person. And at the end of his kind of dark memoir of Ecclesiastes, he, he says, fear God and keep his commands. And I think, oh, we, we can get so, so off track when we pursue anything apart from from God keeping his commands and making sure that we are not the center of our story, that our story is focused on pointing individuals to the incredible grace, to the love, to the forgiveness that's found in Jesus. There is so much more fulfillment. There is so much more joy in that pursuit than in anything else that we can grab onto apart from fear God and keeping his commands. So I would say that's the whole duty. Uh, That's the whole shebang, making sure that our lives are not about us, but focused on Christ and his kingdom. Oh, I love it. it. It is the most powerful advice. It really is. Fear God and keep his commands. Peter Greer, I can't thank you enough for being our guest on today's program at Bottom Line Faith. Would you mind once more helping our audience understand how they can connect with you, learn about your your books, your speaking, the ministries that God has called you to. How, how can our guests learn more? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, the easiest place is uh, online at peterkgreer.com. My middle name is Keith, so that's why the K is there, but that's also the best way to reach me on everything, uh, all social media channels. Also, you can get connected to Hope International through there, or you can go direct to hopeinternational.org or peterkgreer.com. You have been so much fun. Peter, I I look forward to further conversation, and thank you for representing the Lord as you do globally and just loving people so well through your books, your speaking, and of course as CEO and President of Hope International. Thanks so much for being on the program today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a terrific conversation. I've loved it. Thank you. Well, folks, there you have one of the leaders that God has called in the marketplace, truly a humble man, but an incredible communicator of just the love of Jesus Christ. Check out his new book, Rooting for Rivals, as he shared everywhere where books are sold. Thanks for joining the program today. If you're a Christ follower and want to learn more about Truth at Work, check out our website at truthatwork.org. We'd also be very grateful if you would take just a moment and provide a review of today's conversation with Peter, as that helps us to gain our web presence and gets the word out on a more broad basis. So till next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to faithfully serve the Lord in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.